40 here. Do you ever feel like the news is trying to manage you? I mean, it's just so strong that the news media wants us to hate Iran and to blame Iran for the Hamas attack on Israel. The news doesn't put much emphasis into uh, conveying the, the Hamas point of view. All right, Hamas is a democratically elected representatives of the people of Gaza. Hamas overwhelmingly represents the people of Gaza far more than the Netanyahu government represents the people of Israel. So, yeah, this is a democracy for all intents and purposes, not in its classical form, but in its essence. All right, this represents the will of the people, Hamas does. And they are fighting out of their hero system, just like I am live streaming out of my hero system, and you go to church and you worship out of your hero system. We have different hero systems. So you say, why can't the Arabs, why can't the Muslims make peace with this tiny little insignificant Jewish state in their midst? Well, why can't people who believe in heterosexual marriage make peace with the presence of a tiny number of same-sex couples in their midst? Because it violates their hero system that marriage should be between a man and a woman. And it violates the hero system for many to have homosexuals open and out and serving in the U.S. military that violates a hero system. It violates a, a hero system, all right, to have, uh, you know, transgender becoming popular, all right? We're, we're all driven. We're all motivated. We're all inspired and compelled and given strength and given you know pain by damage done to our hero system frequently we would rather be punched in the stomach or punched in the face than to suffer the trials and tribulations of the desecration of our hero system whether our hero system revolves around christianity or judaism or the pursuit of you know scientific truth or liberalism or conservatism or, or nationalism we all have a hero system and uh, muslims have a hero system right part of their hero system is that uh, the land currently occupied by the Jewish state of Israel belongs to them. And Arabs and Muslims do have a claim to the land historically. Right? I don't have any interest in litigating who is, you know, who has the, the stronger claim to the land. That's largely a uh, matter of, of faith. So I don't uh, try to litigate matters of faith. But uh, Muslims and Arabs have their reasons for believing that this land belongs to them. And they, their, their sense of self, their hero system is violated. It is desecrated. It is, you know, damaged by the presence of, of a Jewish state on land that they, they believe belongs to them. And uh, interesting what happened in Sydney, Australia. All right, so a particular group of Muslims got together, took over the area around the Sydney Opera House, right, the central business district of Sydney, and the Sydney police warned Jews to stay away from the central business district of Sydney. I mean, this is always, you know, unprecedented. I didn't know if this has happened before in Australia. It's hard to imagine happening in America. But for, the, for their own welfare, police told Jews, stay away from the central business district. And you had Palestinians gathering at the Sydney Opera House. And, uh, you know, yelling, you know, gas the Jews, kill the Jews, rejoicing in the slaughter of Jews. And, you know, how on earth is uh, Australia strengthened by the importation of this kind of dissension? Right now, 
I don't think for a second that, you know, all Muslims support the slaughter of Jews, right? I, I don't believe that these Muslims who were at the Sydney Opera House causing, you know, celebrating the mass slaughter of Jews and calling for more mass slaughter of Jews, by no means do I think that these Muslims are just inherent to Islam. They're not, right? But a particular set of Muslims is going to celebrate the slaughter of Jews, and a particular set of Jews is going to scream out death to the Arabs. Right? It's not Ashkenazi Jews, by and large, who march through the streets of you know, cities in Israel, communities in Israel, screaming death to the Arabs. Right? It's, by and large, disaffected, low-achieving, Sephardic, and Mizrahi Jews who do that. Now, I live in Los Angeles, and Los Angeles Orthodox Jews are pretty hardcore. I've been told by much wiser more knowledgeable Los Angeles Orthodox Jews than myself, that probably half of Los Angeles Orthodox Jewry believes that Baruch Goldstein is a hero, right? You can go, to the best of my knowledge, to every Torah bookstore in Los Angeles, and you can buy Baruch Hagever. It's probably one of their bestsellers, celebrating the saintly, the, the righteous, the, the sadic, uh, Baruch Goldstein. And why was he so righteous? Because he went into a mosque and just slaughtered as many Muslims at prayer as he could. And I would estimate that uh, half of Los Angeles Orthodox Jews regard him as a great guy. Now, Orthodox Jews in Los Angeles and Orthodox Jews elsewhere in America are not going out and committing murder, and they're not going to you know, publicly call for the mass slaughter of, of Arabs and Muslims. But... Uh, a lot of Israelis, you know, really wish that they, the people of Gaza and the Palestinians would just disappear. Most of them are not going to go public with, with that wish. But everybody down deep has a significant part of themselves that wishes that those who are different from them regards them simply as subhuman, right? Uh, people in Gaza think that way about Israeli Jews, the Palestinians on the West Bank, by and large, think that way about uh, Israeli Jews. Israeli Jews, by and large, think that way under times of stress about people in Gaza and people in the West Bank. All right, this is just inherent to the uh, human condition. All right, I made some some notes. Oh, it's interesting. So New Yorker has a, a big profile on, uh, glowing profile, by and large, on the national security advisor for, for Joe Biden. And this guy, Jake Sullivan, he talks about the Russia-Ukraine war as, as good versus evil. I mean, it just seems like such incredibly naive language for someone who's got a sophisticated Ivy League education. Wow. I, I, but that is how you know the dominant elites see things. I mean, do you feel like you're being stage-managed when you watch the news, read the news, listen to the news? We're supposed to loathe Russia, so much so that we're itching to go to war with Russia. The, the media is managing it so that we loathe China and are itching to go to war with China over Taiwan, even though China, Taiwan can't be bothered to put much effort into defending itself. And we're expected to encourage to loathe Iran, to blame Iran for what Hamas did in southern Israel this weekend, so that uh, there is you know, American support for going to war with Iran, like substantial parts of the pundit industrial complex, of the foreign policy complex, of the American news media 
longs for America to go to war with Russia, China, and Iran simultaneously, which would be an absolute disaster, right? And at the same time, they tell us that democracies don't declare war on other democracies, and it's just not true. All right, Hamas represents the democratic will of the, the Gazan people. All right, more than uh, the Netanyahu government represents the Israeli people. All right, Hamas is far more popular with Gazans than uh, Bibi Netanyahu and his governing coalition are with Israelis. Right, and when democracies go to war, right, they are not more moral, um, not more sensitive to civilian deaths than non-democracies. Right, about five hundred thousand to a million Iraqi children died in the 1990s because of American sanctions against Iraq, right? It was horrifying to look at the video and the pictures of the dozens, possibly hundreds of Israeli children who were slaughtered by Hamas. Well, about a million Iraqi children were killed by American sanctions. But by and large, you didn't have TV cameras capturing those deaths, right? That wasn't, you know, brought to the American people's attention because by and large, Americans don't really care about the death and suffering of non-Americans, just like Australians, by and large, don't care that much about the death and suffering of non-Australians. And the French, by and large, don't care much about the death and suffering of non-French. And Germans, by and large, don't care about the death and suffering of non-Germans. Right? That's reality. You want to do good in the world, you have to recognize reality. Now, contrary to this Wall Street Journal report, which came out very quickly, very conveniently, saying that Iran was behind these attacks on Israel by, by Hamas, right, both America and Israeli governments have stated there is absolutely no evidence that Iran ordered these attacks. Right? Iran has yet to attack Americans in America. So I'm sure Iran has hit squads in this country. Who will go to work if uh, America directly attacks Iran? Right? The Obama administration reached the best possible deal with Iran, Iran can go nuclear essentially any times at once. It's a shame to me that Trump repudiated it. The, the Republican argument and the media argument that the Biden administration played a significant role in the Hamas attack by returning $6 billion of frozen Iranian assets to Iran is absurd, right? Iran has been allowing in nuclear inspectors. They've reduced uranium enrichment. They've released American hostages. They've indicated openness to direct negotiations and engagement with America through the country of Oman, right? Iran is not on a trajectory to order these attacks. Man, so much to, to talk about, but this idea that uh, you know democracies are just so much more moral than non-democracies when, when it comes to, to war is absurd. But the main th one thing I don't see in the news media is the significant role that, that Russia likely played in, in these attacks. That doesn't seem to get any attention. All right. I am skeptical that these likely Hamas attacks would have occurred, right? if America was not so deeply involved, so balls deep in Ukraine, funding, supplying, encouraging, and directing this proxy war against Russia by NATO that is taking place in Ukraine. Right? Ukrainians are dying right, because the U.S. thinks it's a great idea to have a proxy war with, with Russia. And this attack on Israel, I don't think would have occurred if Russia had not been highly so highly incentivized to get back at America, Russia is getting back at America by encouraging, directing, helping this Hamas attack against Israel. 
right? Just like Russia encouraged the Azerbaijan attack on Armenia and taking of Nagorno-Karabakh, Russia is highly incentivized to create as much global trouble for America as possible because America is creating so much Zurus, so much trouble for Russia. John Mishima says that this decision by, by the Biden administration to be so supportive of Ukraine and supply tens of billions of dollars and encourage a, a proxy war in Ukraine is 10 times the disaster of our 2003 invasion of Iraq, right? It, it's essentially 10 times the disaster of our 2001 invasion of Afghanistan and our 2003 invasion of Iraq, right, which together cost approximately up to about $7 trillion, right? We blew $7 trillion in these pointless disastrous invasions, all right, the invasion of Iraq in 2003 cost about a million Iraqi lives, right? I, I'm horrified, just like you are, by these pictures of the Hamas slaughter of about a 1,000 Israelis, all right? The American invasion of Iraq cost one million American lives. Before that, American sanctions against Iraq cost about one million Iraqi children's lives in the 1990s. So, so, you know, this idea that uh, uh, democracies are just, you know, so much more moral in, in the way they wage war, it, it, it's ludicrous. There's, it, all the evidence is against it. Yeah, great article in Ynet. Hands that push Hamas attack forward are in Moscow, right? This is instability created by an attack on Israel. It is intended to pull U.S. attention and resources away from the war in Ukraine, right? Which is exactly what it is doing. And, but the media doesn't let you know that uh, it's Russia that played a, a very significant role in this Hamas attack, that their interests are far more served by the Hamas attack than Iran's, right? Who benefits from the Hamas attack on Israel? Moscow, Russia benefits far more than does Iran. I'm not at all sure that Iran benefits at all. Moscow benefits. Russia benefits. Putin benefits. Just as he benefits from Azerbaijan, a Muslim nation, you know, thrashing Armenia and taking over Nagorno-Karabakh, and Putin will be fomenting more of these. And we've brought it on ourselves by our boneheaded, stupid, ridiculous, ludicrous, just awful decision to essentially get into a proxy war with Russia versus NATO over Ukraine, all right? If, if Trump had been reelected, re uh, Putin would never have been incentivized to mount this invasion of Ukraine. So why not here? Instability created in places like Serbia, Kosovo, West Africa, Azerbaijan, Armenia, Nagorno-Karabakh, and now Israel, all intended to pull U.S. attention and resources away from the war in Ukraine. And it's doing that. It's doing exactly that. Right? Putin is not an idiot. Right? He has idiotic tendencies, just like we all have idiotic tendencies. He miscalculates. He makes mistakes. Right? But overall, he's not an idiot. He is creating conflict between Azerbaijan and Armenia, Serbia and Kosovo, creating conflict in West Africa, now in Israel. And he's pulling... U.S. attention away from the war in Ukraine. Right? U.S. recently approved 
dollars of munitions stored in Israel gave them to Ukraine. Now, the U.S. is going to have to take these munitions and send them to Israel. So they're not going to be able to be available to the Ukrainians to fight back against Russia. Right? Russia used Iran to supply large numbers of drones to attack Ukrainian civilians. It's now using Iran to encourage and enable these attacks in Israel. So the governing consensus, all right, the, the way we're being stage managed by the news and by our elites is to, to believe that if only liberal norms prevailed, right, if only we had, you know, widespread human rights and democracy, we wouldn't have, you know, these awful things. Well, John Mearsheimer wrote a great book about this in 2018, The Great Delusion, Liberal Dreams and International Realities. Right, so there... There is a governing consensus in the news media and among our elites that liberal democracies fight wars in especially virtuous ways. It's ridiculous. There's no evidence for this. Right? Liberalism places great stress on inalienable human rights. So, yeah, you'd expect liberal democracies to go to lengths to avoid killing civilians. Right? But when you study it, you find democracies are more likely than non-democracies to target civilians. The way the United States fights its war it has killed millions of civilians, many of them on purpose. Right, yeah, autocracies are more likely than democracies to abuse prisoners of war, but plenty of evidence that democracies widespread mistreat their prisoners. Right? When democratic states get desperate, they quickly forget the enemy's humanity, begin to value human rights far less. Israeli rhetoric is that uh, Hamas are, are animals. Right? Israel is a democracy, in many ways a liberal democracy. Right? When foreigners murder Americans, there's much greater concern to the average American than when foreigners murder each other. And it's that way universally. Australians don't really care when non-Australians murder each other. Right? There was a great hue and cry in the United States when the Islamic State, ISIS, beheaded two American journalists in 2014. That persuaded President Obama to go to war against ISIS. Right? Americans cared about the deaths of their fellow Americans. They didn't care nearly so much when ISIS slaughtered thousands of Muslims. Americans who murder foreigners, especially non-white foreigners, don't get treated very harshly. Lieutenant William Cowley, who directed the My Lai massacre in Vietnam in March 1968, served three and a half years under house arrest before he was freed. He enjoyed overwhelming support from the public even after his role in the massacre was revealed in the media. Nobody else in his unit was convicted of a criminal offense, even though Americans slaughtered somewhere between 350 and 500 civilians, mostly women and children. Now, if they had butchered that number of unarmed Americans, they would not have received such benevolent treatment. Americans are extremely sensitive to American casualties. Right? Israelis are extremely sensitive to Israeli casualties. Australians, extremely sensitive to Australian casualties. But your normal member of a nation doesn't care much about the casualties of our groups. One study has done a major, uh, one scholar, John Tierman, done a major study on this subject, concurs one of the most remarkable aspects of American wars is how little we discuss the victims who are not Americans. All nations think this way. United States has fought seven wars since the Cold War ended. United States is addicted to war. Right? It's a liberal democracy. 
Britain and Australia, by and large, have been at America's side through these wars. More liberal democracies. So democratic peoples frequently start wars. Wars are frequently good politics. And the public in a democratic nation like the United States, Australia, Britain, frequently does not pay a big price when his country goes to war. Wealthy countries get to have highly capitalized militaries, wherein only a small slice of the population actually serves and volunteers, and liberal democracies can wage war in ways that minimize their own casualties. All right, what about all this cumbersome decision-making that uh, holds democracies back from going to war? Well, Essentially, the president of the United States or any executive can usually plunge his nation very quickly into war. Right? These checks and balances may sometimes make it a little bit difficult to start a war. But uh, Democrat democracies initiate wars all the time, like the 2001 invasion of Afghanistan, the 2003 invasion of Iraq. Right? Very rarely do checks and balances and democratic inefficiencies prevent governing elites from taking their country to war. Right? All these institutional impediments do not thwart democratic leaders bent on starting a war, even if the war you know, is a disaster, like the invasions of Afghanistan and Iraq. Right? In emergencies, liberal democracies such as Israel, United States, Australia, England, are fully capable of reacting swiftly and decisively in initiating a war. Right. This is the latest New Yorker. Written by Susan B. Glasser. Read by Julia Whalen. On a Monday afternoon in August, when President Joe Biden was on vacation and the West Wing felt like a ghost town, his national security advisor, Jake Sullivan, sat down to discuss America's involvement in the war in Ukraine. Sullivan had agreed to an interview with trepidation, as he had told me, but now, in the White House's Roosevelt Room, steps from the Oval Office, he seemed surprisingly relaxed for a congenital worrier. It's my job to worry, he once told an interviewer, so I worry about literally everything. When I asked about reports that, at a recent NATO summit, he had been furious during negotiations over whether to issue Ukraine a formal invitation to join the Western Alliance, he said, only half-jokingly, First of all, I'm like the most rational human being on the planet. But when it came to the subject of the war itself and why Biden has staked so much... Rational being on the planet, you know, could very well plunge us into the war that ends you know, human life on this planet. Very well plunge us into a conflict w with Russia. But the, the Biden administration just seems competent because they, by and large, members of his administration are cohesive. They don't leak against each other. Their conflicts don't spill out into the open. So the media keeps telling us how competent they are. They're going to competently you know, advance us into a catastrophe 10 times the size of the invasion of Iraq in 2003. On helping Ukraine fight it, Sullivan struck an unusually impassioned note. As a child of the 80s and Rocky and Red Dawn, I believe in freedom fighters, and I believe in righteous causes, and I believe the Ukrainians have one, he said. There are very few conflicts that I have seen, maybe none, in the post-Cold War era where there's such a clear good guy and bad guy, and we're on the side of the good guy. 
Wow. I mean, I, I, I sure, morally, you can make that case. But uh, wars are not fought and, and sustained and decided primarily on the basis of morality. Morality, if it is to be objective, right, depends upon a subjective leap of faith to some sort of transcendent source of morality. All right. I, I, I doubt that Jake Sullivan's a religious man. I doubt he, he accepts that the source of morality is God. So therefore, his description of this war as you know, good versus evil is irrational because there is no objective basis on, on which to make such a pronouncement unless you have and share some kind of transcendent source of, of morality or you have our opinions on morality. And we have to do a lot for that person. There's no question that the United States has done a lot. American assistance to Ukraine, totaling $76 billion, with more than $43 billion for security aid, is the largest such effort since the Second World Okay, so asking for a friend, what is your favorite Sunni civilization? Is it Hamas? Like, what would you like to, to pattern America on? What is your favorite Sunni civilization? Is it uh, Saudi Arabia? Hey, where do you see a a Sunni civilization that you really want to imitate? World War. In the aftermath of the February 24, 2022 Russian invasion, the U.S. has delivered more than 2,000 Stinger anti-aircraft missiles, more than 10,000 Javelin anti-tank weapons, and more than 2 million 155-millimeter artillery rounds. It has sent Patriot missiles for air defense and high-mobility artillery rocket systems, known as HIMARS, to give Ukraine longer-range strike capability. Sophisticated ghost drones and small hand... So, as I mentioned, Australian Jews were told to stay away from the central business district of Sydney because bloodthirsty Muslims were celebrating the Hamas slaughter of Israelis and calling for more of the same and gassing the Jews. And again, I make clear this is not inherent to Muslims. This is a particular set of Muslims that Australia has imported a particular set of Muslims, and you can identify them. All right, Muslims from certain countries are far more likely to be bloodthirsty and to welcome genocide than Muslims from other countries, just like certain Jews, far more likely to scream death to the Arabs than, than other Jews. 95% of American Jews do not regard uh, Baruch Goldstein, right? The guy who went into a mosque and slaughtered 30-plus uh, Muslims at prayer as a hero. But a, a tiny percentage do, and you can identify them. Probably half of Los Angeles Orthodox Jews regard Rue Goldstein as a hero. And launched Puma drones, Striker armored personnel carriers, Bradley fighting vehicles, and M1A1 Abrams tanks. Biden has framed the conflict in sweeping, nearly civilizational terms. So human rights is, you know, the favorite preoccupation of our ruling elites of our academic elites, our political elites, our media elites. And human rights really developed as a prominent you know, article of faith among our elites only in the 1970s after the failure of Marxist politics, right? after communism and socialism really didn't work out. Lefties look for something else to invest themselves in, and they developed this notion of universal human rights. Now, prior to the 1970s, Essentially, human rights were understood to be something that only a nation state could could grant to its citizens, really. So there's no 
real meaning to human rights outside of what a nation state at a particular time in a particular place can, can grant its citizens. But it is a preoccupation of people who live in an abstract world. I largely live in an abstract world. I get living in an abstract world. I've lived much of my life in an abstract world. I love the abstract world. I frequently spend you know, way too much time in an abstract world when I'd be much better served you know, spending time interacting with real people. But I'm a reasonably smart guy. I like to read books and think in abstract terms. When you live in an abstract world, it's very easy to live in a substantial amount of delusion. I have spent a substantial amount of my life in delusion. My therapist said to me, I'd hate to see you waste your life in delusion. She said that because she saw me wasting much of my life in delusion. I had another therapist say to me, I'd hate to see you wind up as that guy on the bus or talking about you know, what a contender he could have been. So this, this notion that there are universal human rights and this is you know, a righteous cause to fight for, it does virtually no good in the world. It's a delusion. It's something that makes you feel good. The only meaningful definition, understanding of human rights is that the human rights are the human rights that can be conveyed to, by a nation state to its citizens. That's it. Vowing to stick with Ukraine for as long as it takes to defeat the invaders, who, despite an estimated 120,000 dead and 180,000 injured... So are Hamas the invaders? Right? Arabs and Muslims can make you know, a strong case that the Zionists are the invaders. And Zionists can make a strong case that uh, the Arabs and the Muslims and Hamas are the invaders. Right? Uh, no people spring out of the ground, right? Nobody is owed any territory on earth unless you look at things through the eyes of faith, right? The only territory that your people get uh, is the territory that your people can seize and defend, right? Israel does not belong to the Jews unless you look at it through the eyes of faith. I look at it through the eyes of faith. So I'm down with saying Israel belongs to the Jews, but I'm admitting that I am making a, a leap of faith. Just like Arabs and Muslims can make a leap of faith that the current land of the Jewish state of Israel belongs to Islam. Right? No people emerge straight out of the, the ground and have you know, an inherent right to a particular plot of land. Right? The, the only right you have to any land is the land that your people can seize and that your people can defend. Still hold nearly 20% of the country's territory. But at nearly every stage, the administration has faced sharp questions about the nature and the durability of the U.S. commitment. I mean, remember President Lyndon Baines Johnson in the Vietnam War? He would decide on a case-by-case -case basis where American planes could bomb in North Vietnam. He would personally select many of the bombing targets. And the Biden administration is similarly trying to manage the Ukraine war, the, the proxy war fought in Ukraine between NATO and Russia by giving certain weapons to Ukraine, but then saying, oh, but you can't use these inside of Russia. Right, as though you can give weapons to a country fighting for its survival and then effectively limit how it uses its weapons. I mean, how delusional is that? The Biden administration thinks it can stage manage how, how it, the weapons it gives Ukraine are, are used. Good luck. Beyond the inevitable tensions with Ukraine's President Volodymyr Zelensky, there are jostling Washington bureaucracies, restive European allies, and a growing Trumpist faction in the Republican-controlled House of Representatives, which is opposed to the bipartisan congressional bills that have, up until now, funded the war. 
A vocal peace camp, meanwhile, is demanding negotiations with Vladimir Putin to end the conflict, even as Secretary of State Antony Blinken has said there is currently little prospect for meaningful diplomacy. The task of leading the White House through such treacherous politics has fallen to Sullivan, who, when he... Wow, well, if Anthony Blinken says that there's, you know, little meaningful opportunity for negotiation, I mean, then that just answers that. I mean, if our Secretary of State makes such a pronouncement like, who are we to, to question him? I mean, it's just, uh, it's just settled that. Yeah, apparently 20 Americans uh, missing in Israel... Guys, we need to bomb, bomb, bomb Iran, bomb, bomb, bomb Iran and go to war with Russia and go to war with China. Oh, crazy, crazy how we're trying to, the American news media is trying to stage manage what's going on to avoid the bleeding obvious that uh, this attack on Israel likely would not have happened if America hadn't been so balls deep in Ukraine, that uh, Taiwan can't be bothered to put much effort into defending itself yet tens of thousands of Americans must die to defend a country that can't be bothered to defend itself. And that uh, Iran are the bad guys here, that, that uh, Hamas, a, a Sunni organization, is, according to much of the news media, essentially a, a proxy for the, 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 the Shiite regime in Iran. He was appointed at the age of 44, was the youngest national security advisor since McGeorge Bundy held the job during the Vietnam War. It's really Jake, Evo Dalder, a former U.S. ambassador to NATO who has consulted regularly with the National Security Council since the Russian invasion told me. He's the quartermaster of the war and everything else. Sullivan is lean, with wispy blonde hair, a tendency to blush bright red, and a workaholic intensity unusual even by Washington's standards. One night a few months ago, Sullivan discovered an intruder who had broken into his home at around 3 a.m. because he was still up working. In his office, there is a chart, updated frequently, showing countries' current stocks of ammunition that might go to Ukraine. This spring, during the Battle of Bakhmut, he knew the status of the fighting down to the city block. Wow, that's amazing. That not that fantastic? The National Security Advisor... Knows the status of the fighting in Ukraine down to the block. I'm kind of naive. I, I wish that he was up on uh, American interests. I am not as interested in the fighting in Ukraine block by block as I am in what's uh, good for America. So Hamas and the Palestinians can make a powerful case for their own victimhood. Israelis can make a powerful case for their own victimhood. I can make a powerful case for my own victimhood. You can make a powerful case for your own victimhood, right? All group identity depends upon a strong sense of grievance and, and victimhood. Every people can feel terribly, terribly oppressed, and it's absolutely essential for a group identity. Now, I know what you think. You're saying 40, start with the blather, get to the point. What does Peter Zion have to say about all this? Zion here coming to you from Central Texas. It is the Hi, 7th Peter. of October, and the news today is that in the early hours of today, uh, Hamas, the political-slash-terror group based on your politics that controls the southern enclave of Gaza in southern Israel, uh, launched an attack into Israel proper, uh, demolishing a little bit of the border, uh, land, sea, paraglider attacks, and um, literally thousands of missiles, and so far they've kidnapped at least several dozen civilians and a handful of soldiers and took them back to Gaza with them. Uh, yeah. So do you think uh, Peter Zion is going to go into the JQ? I, I 
don't remember Peter Zion delving into the mysteries of the JQ. He, he doesn't talk much about Israel and the Israel lobby. I wonder why. Who Benjamin Netanyahu, the Prime Minister of Israel, has declared war on Hamas, and military operations are forthcoming. Um, it's a very hot situation on the ground, very fluid. Don't have a lot of information for you there. And honestly, there's people who are much better at that than I am. What I can tell you is there's two kind of things that kind of stand out that we need to watch here. Uh, number one, within minutes of the news being reported, the Ukrainian government offered its support to the Israeli government. Uh, oh, wow. That must be such a lead to the people of Israel that the Ukrainian government had offered its support. Woo. What a relief. I mean, the people of Israel must feel so warm, so nurtured, so safe, so reassured, so heartened, so strengthened, so inspired, so transcendently, supernally, eternally, terrifically fantastic that uh, the Ukrainian government has offered its support. Wow, this is this is a game changer. And, and Hamas was just Hamas was shaking in its boots that uh, Ukraine had offered Israel its support. And I'm just looking at the chat right now. Laponius, Maximus, Meridius, I want you to know I'm offering you my support. Cyberview, I am offering you my support. Azian Sultan Bekov. I want you to know that I'm extending to you my support and my love. Now, I won't send you even a dollar, but I'm offering you my support. Lib Medley, you too get my support. Elliot Blatt, you have my support, bro. Everybody who's watching the show right now, all 20 of you, right? 16 on YouTube and a few on Rumble and maybe one on Twitter, I'm offering you my support. And my support, it should mean as much to you as the support of Ukraine means to Israel. And you know how the Israelis, they're just smitten right now. They are devastated. They feel so bad that Ukraine immediately offered Israel their support during Israel's time of suffering, while Israel had not offered the same support to Ukraine when Ukraine was suffering. The Israelis are just torn up inside. They're, they're bleeding inside. They're crying inside. They're ripped up inside. Uh, in, the, um, in defending against the assault, which is far more than the Israelis have offered to the Ukrainians uh, in response to the Russian invasion. Uh, the Ukrainians have been a little annoyed with the Israelis trying to sit on the fence. Uh, the Israelis, for You know why the Israelis sat on the fence? Because they didn't want to provoke exactly what happened. Right, Russia is an incredibly dangerous enemy. You don't gratuitously, needlessly make dangerous enemies. And if that means you don't get to be as moral, you don't need to immediately you know, go to the aid of, of the suffering because you put a higher priority on your own welfare than the welfare of strangers half a world away, that that's what you do. Israel was absolutely right to be highly reluctant to side with Ukraine. If the United States had been highly reluctant to side with Ukraine, we would not be on the verge of World War III. We would not be on the verge, well, we are stuck in a massive catastrophe in this conflict with, with Russia that there's no way out of. Right? This is going to be 10 times more damaging to 
America's interests than the stupid invasions of Afghanistan in 2001, invasion of Iraq in, in 2003. If only America had been this reluctant, right, then there would have been, in all likelihood, no attack by Hamas on southern Israel this weekend. For their part, have a population that's roughly one-sixth Russian, and so they've been trying to not get involved as much as they can because they're always trying to keep their lines of communication open to the Russians as a way to manipulate events in the, the Arab world. It's going to be very interesting to see if this changes the mindset of folks in Israel at all, because for them, dealing with groups like Hamas is kind of an existential issue. And for Ukraine to come down so quickly and so publicly uh, on their side uh, is definitely noteworthy. Um, there is no direct... Uh, noteworthy. Why? Right, Ukraine can do absolutely nothing for, for Israel. Now, why exactly is it noteworthy? It, it's noteworthy to Peter Zion, who, who thinks it's just so important that the United States, you know, back Ukraine to the hilt and that... Uh, Putin is just like Hitler, and yeah, to, to Peter Zion is noteworthy. I don't think to any thoughtful analyst of, of world affairs that uh, Ukrainian support for Israel is particularly noteworthy. I mean, I, I assume that uh, Bolivia supports Israel too, and New Zealand during this you know time of pain and suffering, and that makes bupkis difference to Israel. Indication of Russian involvement here, but there are a lot of tactics that are very familiar. Uh, that we've seen. Um, the Hamas group has actually um, shared footage of some of its attacks, including attacks on civilian targets, which, you know, under normal circumstances would be considered a war crime pretty much anywhere, but the rules in the Middle East are a little odd. And we know that uh, the senior leadership... There are no meaningful rules in war, right? War means that uh, usually there is such an intense clash of interests that people are willing to kill over them. They're willing to kill because they believe that the survival of their own people is at stake and in such situations that there really aren't any rules of hamas has been in and out of moscow quite a bit over the course of the last year so it's going to be interesting to see how that whole dynamic changes politically uh second aspect is political strategic as well and that is that the saudis and the israelis have been hip deep in negotiations on a normalization program uh, right now most of the countries of the arab world still don't recognize israel as a independent state and entity uh, that has broken a little bit under the Trump administration with Morocco and the United Arab Emirates switching sides. But now the question is whether the Biden administration gets Saudi Arabia to switch sides. And the debate, of course, is about the Palestinians. Uh, they're not between the Saudis and the Israelis, but among the Saudis. There's a debate going on within Saudi Arabia itself. It's generational over whether or not they should just ditch the Palestinians completely, normalize relations with the Israelis, and just move on. Yeah, I've uh, emailed uh, Mike Benz, aka Frame Game Radio, have not uh, heard back from him. On uh, the older generation of the king, who's probably uh, senile at this point, wants to continue to back the Palestinians, whereas the younger one, ruled by the crown prince, um, Mohammed bin Salman, uh, really doesn't care at all. Uh, so we're going to find out really quickly here uh, who actually holds power in Riyadh. And that is going to have any number of implications, because whenever the world's largest oil producer and exporter decides to change its political stance on regional affairs and starts backing it up with money, oil, and military power, uh, a lot of interesting things can break through very quickly. So uh, watch Jerusalem. Is this the once-a-decade cutting of the grass where Israel goes into Gaza and kills off some of the, the most militant? Uh, perhaps, I have no idea, a full-fledged uh, ground invasion and takeover of of Gaza by Israel may very well precipitate an attack on Israel by Hezbollah, which would very well kill 10,000 Israelis in the first 24 hours and flatten much of uh, Jerusalem and uh, Tel Aviv. Right back to this New Yorker article on Jake Sullivan. 
Inside the White House's battle to keep Ukraine in the fight. He often speaks with his counterpart in Kiev, Zelensky's chief of staff, Andriy Yermak, two or three times a week, and has taken charge of everything from lobbying South Korea for artillery shells to running an emergency operation to get Ukraine additional power generators. Earlier this year, when Germany balked at sending Leopard tanks to Ukraine, Sullivan spent days in intensive talks with the German National Security Advisor to secure them. Thank you. Thank you, Jake Sullivan, for all that you do. Here's another premier intellectual, Big Alaska. Um, I'm just struggling, man. Hmm. I'm like, no matter how much I sleep, I'm just exhausted every day, all day, like, just want to, like, die, like, bad. It's not good. Well, if you think if you get a good night's rest tonight, you might reevaluate in the morning. I can try, but it's just, it's, it's, it's like the fucking forest is like, I'm getting dizzy. I think I'm like sick, possibly. <clears throat> I might need to probably go back to the chiropractor tomorrow. I have no energy. Maybe, yeah, maybe, I mean, maybe I could reevaluate if I, I don't even, I, I, I don't even know if I can do this house cam. I'm like. I feel like I'm too old for this shit. Like, I don't know. Oh, that's another topic too. But I mean, you know, we talked about in advance, like, in the real world, aside from the challenge, you know, streaming hasn't been profitable in a while. Well, yeah, I, I'm not like, so, I mean, like, like if, if this is like, I'm just being honest, like, What's up? I don't even know what the chat's saying. What's up, chat? Well, like, let, let's just get really real. If this is what street, what I need to, sorry. If I need to do thirty days, twenty four seven, in order to stay relevant, I'd honestly just rather do other shit. Like, that's like that's it's this is like too much for me, bro. Like, I'm not being Princess Alaska, but it's just like, um. Well, nobody's nobody's called you Princess Alaska. No, no, no. I, 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 I never said they did. But I'm just saying that. Um, I'm just saying that, like, if this is what like the the streaming career looks like, like, I'm just really not interested. Like, it's just not. This is not fun. I'm not like I'm not enjoying. Like, I I had some fun in some of the streams we did, but eventually I got to get some rest. And I'm not getting real rest when it, I'm doing sleep streams every night, e even if the lights are off. Wow. Sounds like uh, Baked Alaska is really struggling. Thoughts and prayers to uh, Baked Alaska. We will not see his like again. In exchange, the U.S. agreed to provide M1A1 Abrams tanks, a move that the Pentagon had long opposed. The NSC, in other words, has gone operational with Sullivan personally overseeing the effort while also doing the rest of his job, which in recent months has taken him to secret meetings with a top Chinese official in Vienna and Malta and to complicated negotiations in the Middle East. In contrast to the epic feuds between George W. Bush's Pentagon and the State Department over Iraq, or the vicious infighting in Donald Trump's turnover-ridden national security team, the Biden White House's approach to the war has been notably drama-free. 
Disagreements among advisors, while at times robust and protracted, have barely surfaced in the press. Blinken, a confidant of Biden for more than two decades, has been perhaps the most visible salesman for the administration's strategy and a key conduit to European allies. Lloyd Austin, the congenial and low... Ah, it sounds like such wonderful people. Okay, Richard Hanania tweets, Pretty sure if you gave me a year, I could write Shakespeare-quality work. Like if someone hadn't read all of Shakespeare and you randomly gave them me or him on average, they couldn't tell the difference. Steve Saylor responds, Richard, I warned you about the ego thing. Richard, uh, Richard Ananya responds, it's not about me. I think a lot of people could do it. I think literary quality ratings are based on fake prestige. Richard Ananya, all right, he, he believes that... Uh, he believes that uh, he can write on, on a Shakespeare level, but and yet this this delusional man, Richard Ananya, far more in reality than Frame Game Radio. Right? When Richard Ananya's work as you know a, a white nationalist writing under a pseudonym when it came out, he made a quite convincing apology. Right? He said, "Look, I, I've grown since then. Why I used to suck, and hopefully." No longer do my road to small L liberalism. All right, that's uh, Richard Hananya. But uh, Frame Game Radio, he, he made a ludicrous defense when his past came out. So this is Mike Benz, formerly Frame Game Radio. says, I am a Jew. I am a proud Jew. I am the descendant of Holocaust survivors who fled Poland. I was bar mitzvah, and not just bar mitzvah. I did the additional four years of Hebrew school to get confirmed. Meaning I went to Hebrew school until I was 17 years old. My Hebrew name is Moshe, and my rabbi would reiterate to me that that name means messenger. Moshe does not mean messenger. Frame game, game Mike Benz always had a meager, meager, meager understanding of things Jewish and Judaism. Then Frame Game Mike Benz writes, I'm telling you this because one of the most notoriously unethical hit piece journalists in the entire country, Brandy Zadrozny, who is famous for constantly getting his stories wrong, just tried to write a hit piece on me that is little... 180 degree opposite of what she wrote and what she thinks she found. Look, there's just no evidence that uh, Brandy Zadrozny of NBC News is notorious, that she's you know particularly unethical, that she is not famous for constantly getting her stories wrong, or NBC and Brandy would be sued into oblivion. And if what Mike Benz is saying is true, then he should sue her. But he's not suing her because what she wrote about him was accurate. Now, I think that she skipped out on the contributions of Frame Game Radio. Right? He, yeah, he said some impolitic and ill-advised and ill-judged things, but he also said some true and, and brave and, and funny things, right? He's a mixed bag, as, as we all were. Frame Game Radio was my favorite guest because he, he was just the most stimulating guest that, that I had on in, in 2018. Uh, so... Frame Game, Mike Benz writes, Brandy's entire industry beat disinformation is getting totally crushed right now by work I've contributed to on multiple fronts, legal, regulatory, policy, media, and she clumsily must have thought she found something that can shoot one of the leading messengers on internet freedom with an unrelated attack related to anti-Semitism. Uh, not very convincing response here by Frame Game. So he claims that uh, Frame Game Radio was a project by Jews to get a people who hated Jews to stop hating Jews, right? I never once got a sense during Frame Game Radio's online career that it was a group project. I only got the sense it was an individual project. 
and it was not a de-radicalization project, right? It may well have de-radicalized some people and radicalized other people. Now, I really enjoyed Frame Game Radio. I think there are important criticisms to make of Frame Game Radio, so it's not like, uh, you know, I, I just uh, think he was just, you know, objectively wonderful. I had plenty of disagreements with Frame Game Radio back in the day, uh, had you know, disagreements as the years go by, but he was stimulating. He did some good things. He did some dumb things. He did some bad things. So Frame Game says, I have no non-Jews who write in to say, I'm so glad I found this account. I used to have a lot of hate towards Jews, but since I discovered you, I don't feel that anymore. I'm sure that's true for some people. And Mike Benz is most likely to hear from those people. Other people you know, very well may have been, you know, radicalized by Frame Game. The biggest antagonists of this account, Frame Game, were people complaining their followers are becoming less radical, less willing to blame their problems on Jews. I'm extremely proud of this. Another life, this thing I was briefly a part of in 2016 and 2017. It was a part of this into the middle of 2018. We'll be getting National Science Foundation funds for combating anti-Semitism. I would not participate today. I do not endorse participating in something like this in a general sense. It was a creature of a bizarre and volatile time in early 2016, which fellow conservative Jews were facing rising sentiments of anti-Semitism on our right. Well, yeah, everything takes place in a particular context. So the context of 2016 is different from the context of 2017 and from 2018. So I did not find Mike Benz's response very strong. I can't believe that uh, Richard Hanania right, had, had a more convincing response than uh, than Frame Game Radio, a.k.a. Mike, Mike Benz. You know, uh, it's, you know, I, I don't know how much is a revelation other than this, this idea of like the network of people. Like, so, so what he's basically saying is like, there was a secret cabal Jews manipulating political discourse for their benefit. Which is and, before you get into this, I mentioned, I'm not sure this is a doxing because like one thing he. I, I mean, what's the evidence that uh, Frame Game Radio was a network of Jews? I can recall no evidence that Frame Game Radio was you know, a, a network of Jews, all evidence, everything I remember about the account was that it was the work of one individual. I can't recall anything about Frame Game Radio that uh, was any kind of joint account. It seemed overwhelmingly obvious it was the work of one man. This is Ricardo and Duvid from yesterday. He disappeared years ago, and he's a known personality. He's bigger than his sub internet this is like uh, the might you know comparable i guess to the uh, richard hanania if you call that doxing and since he disappeared he was a mainstream personality that was active in politics he has a hundred thousand followers on twitter and if you're talking like uh, you or steven that isn't really a known personality and maybe said a few controversial things and then you get doxed and like you lose your job or people are like oh my god do you hear what this guy was saying as opposed to someone that's already a known personality Okay, I want to say something positive about Duvid. He frequently comes out with perspectives that I would not have thought of, and I didn't really think of this perspective. That was using in a non-account to say more controversial thing. It's still a form of that. Why did the Halsey bucks stop flowing? Because Halsey could not afford to uh, dole out the, those bucks anymore. I, I assume that he had business setbacks. Now, was someone subsidizing Halsey English? I have no awareness or knowledge of that. I don't uh, consider that you know, impossible to believe. 
All right, let's lock going on in the chat. Luke, that whole anti fighting anti Semitism thing was so disappointing. Like Mike Benz felt lying and deceiving people is okay somehow if he did it to fight anti Semitism. Who is he? Borat. <laughs> Gaza has two states rubble, pre rubble. Okay, put your helmet on. We might have a world war. So, yeah, why did the Halsey bucks stop flowing? Uh, I think because of uh, business setbacks, I would assume that Halsey had so that he couldn't keep the bucks flowing. But, yeah, it's entirely possible that uh, maybe he was a conduit for some, you know, right-wing Jewish money. But I think it's a much weaker form and it's a much more expected. Like if someone came in like, oh, I found out who you are and you should be more careful versus uh, someone that is already well-known and is using it in nine thing to say something a little bit more controversial than what the... And Duva says in the chat that uh, Richard Spencer doxed uh, Frame Game in a countercurrents article in 2018. I was not aware of that. Uh, I think I vaguely remember Ricardo saying that he was, you know, aware of uh, Frame Game Radio and his new iteration over, over the past four years. So, yeah, in many ways, Duva is a more astute observer of reality than I am in other areas. Cardo is a more astute observer of reality than I am. In some ways, maybe I'm a more astute observer of some parts of reality than Duvid and Ricardo. Like different people, different streamers have different gifts. They're, they're saying uh, in their known um, media persona. Sure. Look, we, we, can, we can excuse the fact that we want to talk about it. But it... All right. This discussion took place on the suddenly lit Stephen J. James channel. He's owned it either way. He's owned it. He said he he directed us to look at the article with this post on Twitter. Shall I just read a little bit about it? Uh, yeah, and even Brundle coming back and saying he knew about it four years ago and just saying oh, the information was irrelevant. I mean, you get back to it by saying even like to this point, it's his document is basically irrelevant. It's like, oh, he used to say racist things yeah. years ago or, or whatever the claim is uh, under an anonymous account. Um, yeah. And it's just that we happen to know him and speak with him. Uh, but I think. Currently, yeah, and I and I talked to him. I talked to him. Like Me too type thing. Like, oh, this guy. I mean, Richard Hanania at best, uh, comparable. This guy. So I've had very few private conversations with people uh, on the air. I, I've had some with Ricardo, but I don't think I've ever had any extensive private conversation with, with Duvid. I've never had any extensive private conversations with the Frame Game. I've had a uh, couple, you know, brief ones with Halsey English, but uh, pretty much most of my distant right-wing conversations have taken place live on stream and then i go back to my regular life and i don't think i have anyone from the distant right in my real life five years ago used to say controversial stuff under a non-account yeah i just wanted to be clear though that i like if i'd have found this on an antifa site or something like that dug this up on the internet and it was look frame game was a player in a public space this was not doxing literally all right you know this this was Frame Game Radio, Mike Benz chose to play in politics. He became a, a public figure. And uh, Brandy Zadrozny did a solid piece of journalism on him. Election <laughs> <laughs> project, and it produced de-radicalization material. I, it made contact with groups in the early primordial soup of the MAGA movement in 2016 and sought to move people from a place of hate and division closer to a place of love and unity. And it was successful. The biggest fans of this account, which were which was deleted six years ago, and to which I only contributed in a very limited manner, were fellow Jews who saw how effective it was at building a bridge and winning over hearts of people who held anti-Semitic beliefs 
and non-Jews who would write in to say, I'm so glad I found this account. I used to have a lot of hate and heaviness in my heart towards Jewish people, but since I discovered you, I don't feel that way anymore. And the biggest antagonist of this account were people complaining their followers were becoming less radical and less willing. <laughs> He's all about Norvin there, Dan. Yeah, Norvin. <laughs> Let me be clear, I am extremely proud of this. Basically, I do it again. In another life, this thing I was briefly a part of in 2016 and 2017 would be getting National Science Foundation funds for combating anti-Semitism. And this was achieved through dialogue and engagement instead of shunning and censorship. You can disagree with the methods, but you can't argue with the results. And I won't be lectured by that journalist on what techniques are or aren't effective at moving people from a place of hate and division towards a place of close of, of love and unity on the issue of anti-Semitism. So, so that's his account. The the paragraph scroll. You can scroll down real quick. The paragraph above is hater. Okay, so and it was successful. So there's no way that's right. I mean, there's. No, I mean, just to say like. I looked at, I don't know when he first appeared on the scene, but, uh, you like, even if JF eventually shows up, we invited him in message and he said he might uh, come on JF Garepi, but, you know, he debated on uh, Worski um, about in-group identity. And then he had a whole series of video of videos, like the Starbucks series. He appeared on JF at least like five times, maybe 10 times. Um, he had his own channel. Um, you mentioned the Saul Linsky. So he did two things. He was trying to be some sort of agent to the right and he was exposing the secrets of the left. So I mean, it's almost completely there's no way that um that he was just happened to be exposing you know, he was anti-adl he was anti-mainstream jewish organizations and he was exposing at that time like now things have blown up it was before george floyd and uh it was right after the starbucks sit-in with uh, the two uh, african-americans that were refused to use the bathroom that he appeared and, and it was somewhat new and his main use why he was popular was because he was exposing so to say exposing uh, these secrets of the left to the far right so, I mean, it, it, there's almost no way that his intentions could have been what he has said. Like, like, like how would you, how would exposing uh, the strategy of the left to far right activists be a method? Or if you're just saying he was doing that to gain entry? Well, well I think, I think, well, yeah, I think there's an element. Me, does he still agree that it was useful? You say, like, no, I, it was useful to expose the strategy of the left. And the only people who are willing to listen to me were counter Semites. Well, I think there's like, there's definitely a pacing and leading element of this where he's, uh, listen, here's what I think. The whole Saul Linsky tactics thing is basically saying, Whites accept the fact that you're just another interest group, that you're not the cultural center of gravity within the United States, within the West. Um, and basically, you blacks, Hispanics, Asians, gays, women, you guys are all going to, like, compete for uh, Gibbs from us. Well, that's like, 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 basically, like, acknowledging, yes, we're that. in charge, yes, that's we're in charge. into two different aspects. One, he was the most popular in the alt-right for exposing um, – he also tried to put himself forward as a leader in the right, and that largely failed. I don't think the alt-right really was that interested in his leadership. Um, however, he was extremely popular because he exposed the strategy of the left. So if you're talking like the Solinsky, that stuff that he mentioned, that's not what he was popular for. He was popular. Well, no, because, I, I agree, but his agenda, I'm, what I'm saying to you even is on like, JF, what was his like, agenda? JF never interviewed about his like suggestion of the Solinsky tactics. JF platformed him so that he could expose the strategy of the left. And even like as a Jew, he was kind of like, yeah, I grew up a liberal Jew and this is what I was taught and this is what we do. And that's why he had to hide his identity because he was exposing like somewhat like insider secrets of the Jews. Sure. Okay. But his, I, I agree with you that his popularity is basically the same as your popularity where it's like, oh, look at this guy with the, with the, uh, you know, the, the guy with the, with the, with the, uh, f uh, what are they called? Sideburns, um, you know, like talking about how we're just sort of a managerial people and like, get on, you got to understand where we're coming from. Like, yes, we're in charge. Yes. This is what we think of you validating like everybody's like preconception so but frame game was it frame games position was white 
you need to play the identity politics game. And I think for a lot of people on the right, we're not ready to accept this idea that we're going to submit to what is like largely, let's just call it the technocracy, the regime, and the regime is going to like, you know, judge and dole out, uh, you know, government benefits and and uh, access to grift or graft to like various interest groups. And, you know, that's what Solinsky basically, they, he taught minorities how to play that game, how to, you know, use well, the government. Frame, I mean, you're saying that Frame Games was putting himself- Frame Games is saying, saying, except, listen, yes, Jews are in charge. He, I'm quoting Frame Games. Essentially, yes, Jews are the network that is in charge, right? And you have to cope with that reality. And one solution to coping with that reality is just put yourself on the same level as blacks and like vote your own interests. Play our game, the game where like we're in position to essentially be above the fray. And well, he, um, he was he was he was putting himself forward to have a leadership position in the alt right. I mean, he wasn't like I mean, he's saying he was reaching sure, he, he was the heart right. You remember, his I mean, thing was he, the he was right. he was kind yes. of like the Halsey type. Until of like, it's okay to hate yeah. left wing Jews and they're wrong. However, or maybe like Doobie wasn't saying it's okay. Like, okay, like that's how Jews he, feel. He was, he was looking tragedy. for a coalition. Saying, I discovered that we're wrong, and now I'm putting myself forward to be leadership on the right. Yes, he, he yes, I, I agree with you. There's certainly an element of him trying to build and he a was, coalition. He was in the Trump administration. I mean, saying like, yeah, yeah, he was coalition like, building. He, that's yeah. like the taxing type. He actually was in the Trump administration. So Israel is warning Gaza citizens, you stay in Gaza, you die. Where can they go? I mean, I don't believe Egypt will accept them. I mean, how could they even escape Gaza? Uh, educate me. Where exactly can people in Gaza go to escape the horror that is headed their way? Administration. He actually was on the inside. Yeah, he's. I. I that's an interesting angle, right? I mean, State Department. That feels like very intelligence community adjacent. You know what I'm saying? Like, so he was oh, I'm in and out of state. Of that's like Anderson Cooper in and out of the CIA training program. He was I mean, trying to like you know keep the dissident right all right together within the Republican coalition and put himself forward as leadership for the alt right. And, you know, if he's just saying like, he, it was like a psyop, but I think it's like, no, it's like he put himself forward for leadership in the alt right. And he was rejected because he was Jewish. And he might, against a handful of people. He, he was trying, who, he was trying to create like a, he was trying to take that energy, make it kosher so that he could like take it mainstream. So I would say. under him, he wanted a leadership sure, sure. Absolutely. Himself forward Absolutely. Like, to Richard Spencer, to all these people to be like, listen, like you need my management, Goy. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think, dude, I think there's a lot of like duvid frame game parallels, you know. Well, like, I was only duvid was brave enough to show his face. Well, I, mean, I was the opposite because I was talking about religion. He was talking politics. I was talking religion. And I wasn't portraying myself to be in a position of leadership. I was portraying myself as an independent scholar, just willing to answer questions. That's on true. Judaism. But you guys sort of came at it. Yeah, I mean, we're similar, but I'm saying he actually was portraying, putting himself forward to be in a position of leadership in the alt-right. I was just an independent scholar. I'm still just an what independent scholar. What was it you said, was it you said in the pre-show? And he is. I mean, he went on to become a leader in the right. Like, so he already was at that point. He That's why he was a nun, because he actually was in the Trump administration. Like, you know, like he outclasses Duvet. He went to Ivy League schools. He was in the Trump administration. And now he has 100,000 followers. He has an organization. He is a leader on the right. You described him as a Jew, revealing the secrets of the Jews. That's <laughs> how he like described himself. Right. Well, I don't think he would ever, I guess that's not something that he would have explicitly articulated. Listen, I it's think- It's worth saying, it's worth saying to everybody, just in case anybody can't remember, he was openly Jewish to everybody. This It's not a revelation now after the no, fact that he was no, Jewish. And he said he knew, knew this about the left because he was part of the left, because he was brought up in that environment. He went to Ivy League schools. He was a lawyer for a human rights 
uh, institution. So he said he was a corporate attorney. He said he was corporate attorney. I thought he said he did human rights, but whatever. I'm saying he's, he knew this stuff because he came from the typical leftist background and then whatever reason came on to be a Republican because he thought the Republicans were right. And he was comparable to Halsey. And we mentioned we bring it into Halsey because like Halsey was like the only mod on his channel. Throwing, uh, throwing big Halsey bucks was around. a little bit more. Big bucks Halsey. But I mean, he, yeah, he, he was basically parallel to. The Halsey question. You know what? I, should we get Halsey on? Because Halsey, Halsey's seen all this on Twitter and is in my DMs with lots of opinions. He's welcome. Of course, he welcome says anyone, he says that FDR is obviously is welcome. He says I just I don't think I'm. Halsey's hating anything, anything, anything private, but I would say that Halsey says the simplest solution, simplest explanation, is that uh, Frame Games Radio is an independent actor. Now I think that's interesting because I think like this. <laughs> would you network, if you think? And listen, that? I want to say I have watched enough Luke Ford. I have seen his DM groups. I know all these characters. Like there's a lot I could say about like private conversations I had with Frame Game. One time he went on Big Cat Kayla. This was like within my first week of going online. Okay. Remember when Big Cat Kayla was a thing? And yes. oh, God, the most cringe, you know, I will always forever hate the term friend after her. But anyway, I mean, Frank Games was streaming to like five, like I knew about Frank Games. Well, but he, so, so he's he on like, like there. People. I'm just to put it like Frank Games was like around when Luke Ford just started. He was streaming to five people. He got on Worski and then he got a little bigger. But even then, he was streaming to like 10 people. He was small enough well, but, that, that, he, but what I'm what I'm saying is he wasn't I went even on bigger than you at the time where you talked to him. Besides for like JF platforming, he wasn't even bigger than you. No, he was bigger. He was he was like big enough. He was maybe like a ten thousand sub character at that point. But but what I'm saying is that he he uh I want I go on Big Cat Kayla because Norvin and like Mr. Fahrenheit or whoever is like arguing basically about frame game because it was a big question like what to do about the base Jew or the good Jew right like that was definitely yep. a debate yep. right and so I go on and I personally really like frame game okay. And I go on like Norvin because I saw Norvin as this optics disaster, just in general. So like I'm just sort of predisposed to disagree with everything he's got to say. And I'm not saying he's right or wrong, even looking back. But he and I argue about it. Frank Game is sitting here watching that video, and I get DMs. He calls me that night, and we talked for like four hours about. Wow. Oh gosh, dude, it was like this is before. He was basically saying like I'm here to help Norvin. Like basically like this Norvin was before the Richard Spencer phone. I mean, just to put like a time of reference, you're claiming <laughs> this I mean, is this is I talked the first time I talked to Frank Games was like within the first three weeks of me appearing on Luke Ford. Because remember, like, I was only Luke's co-host for maybe four or five weeks before my I mean, wife found out and I got shut down. When Frame Games doxed by accident Richard Spencer's phone number and you called Richard Spencer. That was, that was maybe, this is probably a month preceding that incident, right? Because, like, when I got Richard's number and I called it, because we never told Richard that we got it from Frame Games, okay? But when I well, is when called it, listen to me, listen to me. was the whole time? Like, I don't care. No, I didn't. No, no, no. I didn't know, no, no, no. I didn't know who Frame Games was. <laughs> You're saying you know. were talking to Frame Games on the phone and you didn't know who he was. I'm saying we were talking. We were talking like over. It was. Uh, it was either Discord. I mean, at the time, had it, it was Discord or. That's not what you just said. You said you talked with him on the phone for four. Yeah, hours. no, it was. Yeah, on my. Oh, but you're saying like you were I talked to him Google, by voice. You were for using hours. Google Hangouts on your phone. You didn't have a something like yeah, whatever it was. Like I talked now, to him. Was I mean, you're talking before. Offline. But I'm saying I talked to him. I talked to him simply offline. by voice and you're simply like offline for four hours. Um, like immediately following, immediately following this interaction with Norvin about. Okay. Uh, okay, we've got the timeline sorted out. We've got the timeline sorted out. Before you started your own channel, or like before, right after, uh, uh, or about yeah, the same time you started probably, your own channel, yeah, like uh, I, something like that. But like definitely before we made it big. Okay, definitely before we got the phone number. And so, like, when I told Richard, when I reached out to Richard, I didn't reach out to him as like I didn't disclose that Frame Game had like doxed the number. Okay, and I I say to Richard basically, hey, like I'm this alt right channel. And I had live. radio. I, we had had Frame Game Radio. That was live show. on your stream. Everybody was watching when you. Right, exactly. And he and Richard DM me, and he's like, "I'll come on, but can you get Frame Game on?" Right. He would come on if I got Frame Game on for a conversation. So Frame Game basically gets word that like 
we made this phone call to Richard that it came from his stream. Richard doesn't know. So like frame game is like frantically trying to get in touch with me to like shut this down. Like not to let Richard know that I had doxed, that he had doxed his number. And I was like, well, I wouldn't do that. I was like, but also it would really help my channel if you would come on with Richard. And he really didn't want to do it. I don't really know why. He really didn't want to talk to Richard. Then. And, you know, God forgive me. Like I basically implied that like it would really help me keep it a secret if he came on the show. So that's <laughs> the word. You're saying, yeah, you're not making sense either. What keep what a secret? Either you didn't know who he was. Like I'm saying that. Like I guess this is so. This is you're, so you're either saying you knew who he was and you threatened to dax him, or you didn't know. Who no, he no, was. no. I, I, I basically he wanted me. It. Oh, he wanted me to. Oh, here's what it was. He wanted me to take the stream down because it revealed the fact that the docs had come off of Frame Games video. Like okay, so that had nothing to do with you knowing his identity. Was just no, it wasn't his identity. It was just like, dude, you got to take that window down. Like people are going to think I'm docs. It, that's what it was. It wasn't like he cared that Richard. Yeah, I, I remember that just the way that you phrased it made it think that like right. you were that it was something. Well, like, I was basically saying like I would love to take that video. The down, only thing like, that you held over Frame Games was the fact that you screenshotted Richard's phone number from his screen. Exactly. That that. And that's uh, what you held over him. Right. I was like, I would take that video. I was like, dude, this video is going to be a lot of views for me. If I take it down, you got to give me. Yeah, like, and I had done like Richard research. Time. Like I did like a presentation in that stream, and you took that down. Right. That so okay, okay. So we get this whole thing set up, and he like. I don't really know what he why he didn't want to talk to Richard, but he did it, and that was a great stream. We had like 600 live viewers. It was like the fucking peak, okay. And then it all came crashing down. So and that's but, after he. That's in the meantime while he was on. But it JF. wasn't until like sometime that was already when Frame Games was a regular on JF. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, yes, and I think like he felt like touching Richard. It was two things. Like one, he didn't want the video out because he felt like it would make him look like a doctor of Richard's phone number. Like that, that would reduce his credibility with his target audience. And then two, How did he have Richard's phone number to start with, though? Because him and Richard were DMing, and Richard was like, "Here's my number, call me." But like, okay. And so, like, he so when 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 Frame Game started some stream, he like had his Twitter DM window open in the first five seconds, and he shut it out immediately. But we had some live viewer who basically hops in yeah. and goes, "Hey, Brundle, do you want his number?" And I said, "Sure." And he sent it to me and said, "I got this off wherever." And then we called on, you know, and it's all yeah. history. But I remember this. I remember it live. But yeah, so he he. Yeah. So, so, so frame game, uh, like, and Richard, by the way, like, I don't know if you could find it. Richard did tweet like about this situation and basically says like, obviously the guy had an agenda, like, and I can respect that. I think for me, I think it was always that he was trying to kosherize. Um, he was always kosherizing and he will say, I remember this quote forever. You know, he said, I'm getting off on the train at a different place. But I think we're like on the same. I remember him saying that. Yes. Yeah. So like, um, I don't think he's, uh, Nothing is a revelation about his motivations. I think that the network of Ju that the account was like the result of some network. And I'm saying, I know that there were these like default right Twitter DM groups because Luke Ford like basically showed his Twitter inboxes. And Luke Luke's radical love and inclusion tagline is him and FGR like both had it. Like that's inter really interesting. I, mean, I messaged Luke about this. He saw it, but uh, he didn't message back. I mean, yeah, Luke Ford still has that Richard Spencer line. My tradition teaches a message of radical inclusion and love, like six years later. Right, and look what look what FGR is talking about in that post. Like, okay, the line wasn't from Richard Spencer. The line was from a reform rabbi talking to Richard Spencer, offering to teach Richard Spencer radical love and inclusion through teaching Richard the teachings of Torah. And Richard Spencer, much more in touch with the Torah tradition than the reform rabbi, pointed out that uh, Torah is not exactly a primarily about radical love and inclusion i mean you know, frame games was it's on. that unity love and unity and it's like i'm not frame opposed to love and unity before, i think frame games was on loop board before me and you were 
Uh, well, I you remember when he basically muted us both? Like FGR's here. Like, oh, was that the first the time he was on where he muted us? Yeah, I was like, yeah, like yeah. Luke, Luke Ford, like completely shut well, us. Well, that up. was your last appearance for like a year. Like, I will bounce you if you don't uh, be quiet for frame yeah, yeah. I was like, no, Luke he Ford, was like, like, just yeah. like what the hell? <laughs> Luke Ford, dude, dude. I mean, he goes. As a right winger, I believe in hierarchy. And when like a higher ranked streamer comes on, the the minions from the chat need to shut the fuck up. And like Duvid was so offended, Duvid goes in the comments after that video and just flaming. <laughs> and like that's basically when him and Luke didn't talk for like probably eighteen months after that. It was that stream. Yeah, it's like why the hell are you kissing the ass of some non streamer? Duvid's like I'm on here showing my face. Like look at my you know, like. What well, well, was like, this guy? Well, yeah, I'm saying like how like how could you possibly? diss somebody right in front of your face for just like some a non-streamer okay uh, so, but yeah that, that no, but, but, okay, that, but i don't know like, that, was that the first time that frame games appeared so frame, uh, i think frame games appeared on luke ford after we were already on yeah so i still have the the same attitude i am a right winger i believe in hierarchy i don't treat you know everyone who comes on the stream the same way you know duvid is different from brundlefly different from mike benz i mean i, I treat people differently often depending upon events and, and circumstances. So I still have that same attitude I had in, in 2018. Sometimes I want to mute everybody else in a conversation to just hear from one guy. Sometimes I just want to talk to people who say, accept evolution. Well, because the thing was, was like, what was going on at the time? And this, you know, I came on. He, he was watching. Remember, Luke was obsessed Worski. with Worski. But, okay, let me put it. Let me, let me rechange it. Luke Ford was on Worski before JF. Or, or JF was on. Was JF the- No, JF went on Worski at the end of 2017. I first went on J on Worski with JF in late 20 in late January 2018. Uh Fly, I think, first appeared on my channel around uh, April of 2018. Duvid shortly thereafter. Frame game came on my show about six times between March and June of 2018. And uh, I believe Frame Game disappeared in the end of june approximately of 2018 the co-host already of worski when luke ford was on uh yes and then yeah. frame games blows up i think yeah. after frame games comes on worski very shortly after and that's where he burst onto the scene from uh, appearing on worski where jf is the co-host and if jf shows up like we'll ask him the details but for, like it's possible that jf knew about frame games before and he was the one who recruited frame games for the debate or maybe jf heard about didn't he appear with halsey i think jf knew about frame games and he's the one who invited him onto worski for that debate and then but we came into some it's possible jf knew about frame games before we did uh but we knew like after that appearance on worski he blew up he was all over the place yeah and he's i think he, i think he came directly was, to like, Luke's I show. Get this guy on my stream so like duvid was just like the vcast because he couldn't get the guys he wanted yeah, and, yeah, and then, right, once right, frame right. games came on he was like i would drop you in a second for frame yeah, games. yeah. well dude i mean there's a, there's 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 the main there's the main attraction and then there's the whack pack filler i mean there ain't a, you know there's no question uh but we I mean, it's like alpha you beta, you know, like, you know, God forbid, like, okay, we're friends, but it's like, I'm only your friend because the people I want to be friends with aren't friends with you. And I would drop you in a second. <laughs> be my- yeah, there's a difference between friendship and, and streaming. So my priority overwhelmingly when I do a live stream is the quality of the live stream. That's not necessarily the entertainment quality of the live stream or the compelling freak show element of the live stream. There are other values such as the, the intellectual caliber of the work. So... Yeah, there are definitely times I try to mute everybody else for one particular guest, whether that guest was Frame Game Radio or Kevin Michael Grace. Yeah. Well, so so the thing was though is okay. So so JF 
is hosting, I mean, Internet Blood Sports, for people who don't remember, was basically you could have debates about things like JQ, JQ adjacent topics, race topics on YouTube uh, with people super chatting the heck out of these things. Um, these live streams were just, and it only lasted like six months. And it sort of peaks with Sargon and Spencer. And then we we get to a point where Vorsky and JF, who were co-hosts, split up. And, and that energy continues Guess who else JF. was on that show? Babylon. Yeah, Babs. <laughs> <laughs> you can't make it up. So, yeah, I know. So, 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 so the thing is, is like they go and JF, I, I just remember like the Halsey bucks flowing to JF. I don't know if they were like, he was there with Worski though. Didn't he debate Nick on Worski and JF? Wasn't he there at that point? Yes. Wasn't it a, both yes. Of yes. Halsey was on Nick the Remember knife. when Nick broke out the knife, Nick the knife? Halsey might have been on against Halsey. Before even Halsey JF was co-host. Was that, yeah, that was Halsey. But, but Halsey teams up like after JF goes solo. Halsey like teams up and tries to be his handler and he's giving a bunch of money. Halsey yeah, he's buying, he buys access. It's a hundred dollars a night. But I mean, Halsey like buys himself a spot to become a weekly guest and Frank games is a weekly guest and Halsey is a weekly guest on the new spinoff of JF. So let's discuss the Halsey question. Now we keep bringing it up. We just talked about it tangentially. Halsey English. What the hell was he doing back then? Where did he get that money from? And was he part of this operation? He has to answer that himself, and we can just speculate. But I'm just saying what we know. I mean, we know that Halsey. No, trapped, we know no. that Halsey gave Luke Ford thousands of dollars, and we know that uh, Halsey possibly gave um, JF as much as ten thousand dollars, maybe not that much. And I mean, JF had a lot of money coming in, a lot of super chats. But when JF first spun off from Morsky, Halsey was unquestionably his bigger super yeah, biggest super chatter, like fifty hundred dollars a night. And JF was like. I don't know if he was kidding. I mean, JF has a little bit more integrity. He wasn't straight up kissing Halsey's ass, but he was bringing Halsey on as like a weekly guest. He liked, like, I think JF actually liked Frank Games, had useful information. Halsey was more like, okay, he's a big streamer. He's giving me money, uh, but he brought him on. And, uh, you know, I don't know, you know, like, you know, if Halsey could have been his business decision that he wanted to promote himself as a streamer. So he bought his way in, or it could be some sort of conspiracy. And then the question is, did Halsey and Frank Games actually know each other? And obviously, as I mentioned, I remember, um, you know, <laughs> were friendly, um, when the uh, frame games got hit by the gdl and halsey was streaming and i appeared in halsey's chat and halsey was like oh i'm a mod on frame games and he went and like deleted all of the gdl but as far as i know like halsey was the only mod on frame games and when halsey first started out with like analytical i don't even know if it was frame analytical games, check. Analytical yeah, dude. but like you know frame games used to be on halsey's channel when like halsey had like 10 viewers okay so so it's funny by the way so we see worsky so we know that halsey precedes the jf worsky breakup right and um, you know, for those who don't know, Halsey English is basically like the arch. He's like arch dog. Like he wants to go to the war with the white nationalists. Like he wants to like grind them into dust. He's like the anti anti semite. Like hardcore max violence. Like no quarter given. Okay, so he's like basically every big right winger. Like Mike Enoch, Nick Fuentes, Patrick Little. Who else? I mean, so on and so on. Like all went to battle against Halsey. Okay, and it was like, and I will say this: Halsey English is this huge villain. And I get it. And like, I know that people that watch this stuff, like, care about, like, the points that are being made. And it feels like it matters. But, like, six years removed from all this, I really wish well to everybody I ever talked to on the internet, even the people that I said nasty things to. You know what I'm saying? Like, we had a good time, and they were a big part of it. You know what I mean? They were willing participants. So. Yeah, I'm just trying to get the, the chain of events in the history. I'm so, just, so what I would say is, Halsey, so let me, let me tell you, when I came on the scene, when I came on the scene. I'm just like, like, I don't, I mean, people might be rooting for different people on the side. And I say, like, I thought me and Halsey were friends. He turned against me in, like, the last year, and I'm not even sure why that happened. But, like, uh, you know, for a period, me and Halsey were even friends. And uh, we're streaming together. He invited me on uh, my channel. He was on his. I'm just giving the history of what happened. Yeah, okay, right. So, but what I'm saying is, and I'm, Halsey, asking I... I'm asking the main question I'm asking is where did his money come from? Well, well, no, I mean, uh, I mean, that's also a question, but no, I mean, the main because we're talking frame games, I'm saying, did Halsey 
know who Frame Games was at the same time, if there was some sort of conspiracy, was Halsey and Frame Games in on it together at the okay. time? All right, so here's what I'll say. Is I got invited to Halsey's Discord, like, basically within a couple days of, like, going on this board show. Like, when I appeared, like, basically both, like, the Jews and the white nationalists, like, wanted to, like, wrap their arms around me, right? And I basically looked at it as, like, I, I like talking to people, you know what I'm saying? So I, I talk to everybody. And um, Halsey used to basically, like, an analytical chick, analytical chick, like, made my very first, like, banner art. And Halsey, um, op like, offered to pay for, like, a guy to, like, do logos and all kinds of shit for me. And, you know. No, you don't know. He's like, uh, Broadwell took a principled stand, and he refused to take any donations from Halsey. Like, you know that you were. No, no, no what, I, I, what, I, what I'm saying is, like, let's. You let's... controlled that position of Halsey and Frank Games the whole time, and now you just <laughs> no, like, no, I don't know. Like, no, no. <laughs> No, I don't know that Halsey behind what, what I'm saying was, to you, was, was your, was your handler. So okay. like, I don't no, care changing my opinion, but it sounds like he's <laughs> but he would do stuff like he would do the whole time. He, he, he would like introduce me to like Ethan Ralph and JF. Like he facilitated JF coming on the show. He got, he's like, oh, I'll get Frame Game on your show. Like Halsey certainly was wrapping his arms around me, right? Halsey absolutely tried to wrap his arms. Now, Wait, why so did so I end up falling out of Discord? He streamer trying to build his platform and he saw like Luke Ward. Sure, well, I don't know. Yeah, you know, like he's cost me money and help and booking. So he, a lot of people, I was like that too. Like, I mean, Halsey might have had more connections. Luke Ford, he's saying that's just normal. Like, everyone in the business was doing that at the time. Yeah, I, I think that there's a huge So, uh, Ricardo is like a 10 out of 10 as far as extrovert. Halsey, pretty close to a 10 out of 10 as far as extrovert. I think I'm like a 5 out of 10. And, and I think uh, Duvid's probably like a 2 out of 10 when it comes to extroversion. Definitely a, no, everybody was trying to build their streaming platform were, because at were. the time it was a boatload of money. Like Luke Ford, JF, Halsey, like they saw those. Yeah, super YouTube is still going strong. Like people well, have been completely wrong. Yeah, saying, like, Hul I'm saying Worski and JF were making hundreds of thousands of dollars a year. They were making thousands of dollars on a stream. And Halsey and Luke Ford saw that money and they wanted a piece of it. And so it was just normal business. They were working together trying to build up a network uh, and the news. I, and they wanted a piece of that money and influence. And like, frame games, yeah, there, there were many months there. I made well over $1,000 a month. Uh, bought a an portable air conditioner. For my studio here, I think spent four hundred dollars or so. Really came from uh, Halsey's super chats. Take, Maybe it wasn't like Halsey spent was not trying to get in on the money and influence. I, I, no, I, yeah, I think to 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 Stephen's point, like he definitely spent more than he made. Now, did he really have aspirations of a little media empire? Would fifty thousand dollars be reasonable startup costs on something? I, you know, maybe like maybe it was his money. But like also, like what's Frame Game talking about with his network of people? What's that about? That's yeah. That's it wouldn't shock me if that was Halsey's money. In fact, I, I would say I would lean 60% uh, Halsey's money, 70% Halsey, Halsey's money, 30% money from another source general through Halsey. Okay, back, what, did yeah, Frame Games know Trump? I mean, we don't know this. Like, I don't know. Just, by the way, Frame Games was in that Discord, but Frame Games didn't really participate. But what's Frame Games like? How well was he connected in the Trump administration? And is the purpose of this DAX now to like, oh, look at this guy who helped out Trump. And you know, now that Trump's coming back, that's the reason he's getting DAX because Frame Games was in the Trump administration. I mean, it would make sense to me that I mean, he got and that's like okay richard spencer got pushed out of the trump administration like you know I, my frame games was an ivy league lawyer um i don't know his details i didn't look into who he is or what he did but I mean, it sounds like he's saying himself he was in fact in the trump administration by the way and i also find like his little statement about like you remember, he says, you, there, he you, says i'm extremely proud of this in another life this thing i would be part of would be getting national science foundation funds bro, bro, so, bro, like it's interesting that he thinks there said, should be money you said you used to have a friend that you spoke to like half an hour every day that lied to you and said he was in the Trump administration. Then, like after you told him for a few yeah, months, all of a sudden he's like, "Oh, by the way, I'm, I just lied and I have no connection to Trump. I'm just some dude on my phone." But you're saying Frame Games was opposite. That was my Frame Games was actually in the Trump administration. No, I, I think it just points to like, I mean, there's a lot of conjecture here. I mean, it, a lot of it impossible to prove. But like for you and I and, and Stephen, who were like there at the time, I have to say that this admit, you know, like I come onto the internet and Stephen, I'm sure you can agree and do it too. Like I came on as an independent scholar. Okay, like I was just yeah. interested Otis. and I just. 
wanted to talk to people because I can't talk to people in my real life about this stuff. Okay, come on, come on, guys. Scholars produce, you know, unearth, you know, documents. It, it's it's not just something that you know anyone can call themselves an independent scholar, but yeah, you're independent thinker. And like, yeah, do I have a political viewpoint that I would like to see around the world? But like, I wasn't conspiring, and there wasn't any fucking money behind it. You know what I'm saying? And I don't work in the federal government. You know what I mean? Involve, you know. Yeah, but you were working. I'm saying, okay, like, and you saw that money coming in. You were like, okay, like, uh, but you said, like, okay, you you had a job and you have a high IQ and your wife and your business. You're like, dude, I could make over $100,000 a year. You already were easily working in business. I'm not quitting my job to become a streamer, even though you saw the money. And Halsey also, like, he had his own money, his own business. And But Halsey, whatever reason, he wanted to create his own new service. And, like, Luke Ford, maybe he needed the money. So he was just like, wow, if I could become rich or get, make a living doing what I love doing, streaming. Um, but there was an overlay between, like, you know, JF, like, like the guys who were trying to become professional and the people who were guests in content. So, like, I was like, okay, if I can make some money, I monetize my channel. But, like, I never planned on – I just wanted to get my voice out there, have some interesting yeah. conversations, meet some people. I didn't never planned on moving professional. Um, but but, but this, this guy, this guy people, was an insider. There were a lot of yeah, people. He was an insider running an up, and now he's, like – Got some new op where it's like I don't think he was running an op. He was talking about what he believed every living thing tries to change the environment around it to make it uh, most conducive for the thriving of its own people. So yes, uh, Colin Liddell puts it in the chat, and uh, David put it in the chat earlier that uh, Richard Spencer docks frame game in 2018 as Mike Benz, but uh, not many people paid attention. Elliot Blatt makes the profound point that uh, our true scholars, our true independent scholars, roam the streets of Oakland. Take care. Bye-bye.